If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please take them and turn with me uh, once again to the Psalms, but this time to probably what is the most well-known and most beloved psalm of all, and perhaps the most beloved chapter in the entire Bible, and that is the 23rd Psalm. This, this passage of Scripture is so familiar. Uh, it's so beloved. It's been memorized by millions of people. Uh, it's been used by countless ministers at, at moments when people are going through some of the most difficult and darkest times of their lives, at, at, at times of funerals. In fact, I just read it yesterday at a memorial service here for for Lanny Carlisle here at the church, I just read it at that service. For some people, the 23rd Psalm is the last words that they have ever uttered in this life before, uh, before transitioning to the life to come. And, and undertaking such a task of preaching from such a well-known and much-beloved passage, well, as I prepared my sermon this week, my first thought was, well, I wasn't sure that I would be able to reveal anything new uh, to you or to say anything about this psalm that has not already been said before. And then after I spent time studying it and, and really kind of diving into it, I became more convinced that there was not anything that I was going to be able to say to you that was new or that perhaps you had not heard before. I don't have anything new and creative uh, or mind-blowing, but that's not my aim. If I can just be honest with you, wowing you, Impressing you with my knowledge is not really anything that I ever intend or endeavor to try to do. Um, my goal has been and remains to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the focus of all Scripture. He is the focus of everything in the Old Testament. He is the focus of everything in the New Testament. And he is the focus of this passage that is going to be before us this morning. And really, right there, and on this last Sunday of October in the year 2020, in the middle of what can only be described as a contentious and, and a chaotic and a confusing time for all of us, well, I want you to know that unapologetically, my goal is to point you to Jesus. It's my firm conviction that you will only find abundant life in Jesus. You will only find true joy and satisfaction in Jesus. It will only be as you place your complete faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and as you follow him in obedience. It will only be as that occurs that you will ever experience what it means to enjoy a life filled with hope and with assurance and with contentment and with peace. And listen, I cannot provide you with any of those things. Nor will you find them in a politician. Nor will you find them in a platform or a program or a pill that you can take. But there is one to whom you can turn who will satisfy every need that you have. And my aim on this Sunday and every other Sunday that I stand before you is to point you to him, to point you to Jesus Christ. And so with that as my goal, let's turn our attention to the 23rd Psalm. As I mentioned to you last week, the 23rd Psalm actually comes as a part of a triad of Psalms, Messianic Psalms, 22nd, the 23rd, and the 24th really form a, a group of Psalms together. Each one of those Psalms written by King David at different points in his life 
for different purposes and they have different applications to them. But when you take the three of those psalms together and look at them as a whole, what you find is that they paint a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus who serves as our loving shepherd. These are messianic psalms that, that really identify some key characteristics of Jesus. For example, last week we looked in Psalm 22 and we learned that that, that psalm actually pointed forward to Jesus who would come as our suffering servant. He is the good shepherd according to John 10 verse 11 who lays down his life for his sheep. And what we learned last week as we looked at Psalm 22 is that it opens with that cry of dereliction that, that Jesus uttered when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We learn of the, the, the silence and the separation that Jesus experienced from the Father. We also learn of the, the scorn and the shame that he experienced at those who mocked him while he was there on the cross. But then, with amazing accuracy, Psalm 22 also shows for us what, we, what, we, what Jesus experienced in his sorrow and his suffering while he was crucified. And so Psalm 22 is the first in this triad of Psalms, and in it we see Jesus portrayed for us as the suffering Shepherd, But then skip over Psalm 23 for just a moment and look at Psalm 24. Because there, Psalm 24 opens this way. It says, The earth is the Lord's in, the, in all its fullness, and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Now, the person to whom David is referring in Psalm 24 can be none other than Jesus Christ. He is the only one with pure hands and clean hands and a pure heart. He is the only one who has never lifted his soul to an idol. And so David is pointing to this, to this Jesus, this future, this future uh, shepherd who would come. And he is not the suffering shepherd of Psalm 22. No, he is the sovereign shepherd. There in Psalm 24. In fact, throughout the psalm, he is referred to as the king of glory. And so from, from our perspective here, as we, as we read these, these various psalms, we read Psalm 22, we read it looking backward to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has suffered and he has died in our place and we have been saved by his blood. And so we see him as the suffering shepherd. But then here in Psalm 24, we look forward. We look forward to, to the fact that Jesus will one day come again. He is the one who has ascended to the hill of the Lord, but, but he is right now at the hand of the Father, right hand of the Father, but he will one day return as our chief shepherd. And so he is our expectation. He is our hope. And we look forward to him returning again. He is our sovereign shepherd. And then that brings us then to Psalm 23, which is right there in the middle. And what I want you to know, Psalm 23 wasn't just assigned that number, it was placed there for a purpose. It's placed there because if Psalm 22 looks back to the suffering shepherd, and if Psalm 24 looks forward to the one who's the sovereign shepherd who will come again, Psalm 23 is about the satisfying shepherd that we who are his sheep are being led by in the present moment. Psalm 22 looks back, Psalm 24 looks ahead, Psalm 23 looks right now. Now, if you think about that, is it any wonder that Psalm 23 becomes such a beloved passage? It's, it's one of the most memorized, most cherished passages in all of Scripture. As one has put it, 
At its heart, Psalm 23 is an expression of confidence in the protective care of the Lord upon whom the psalmist expresses absolute dependence. So with that as an introduction to kind of help us understand the, the, the focus of, of the 23rd Psalm, let's read it together. And by that, some of you have obviously probably memorized this Psalm since you were on the knee of your parents at some point, or you memorized it in Scripture, or in part of a Sunday school class, or a small group at some point in the past. But you've got it right there in front of you, so I think this is a perfect time for you to participate. This is a participatory service, and right there where you are at home, read it out loud in, the, in, in where you are. Read with me the 23rd Psalm. You'll see the title of it. It is a, it is a Psalm of David. And don't let the vows and the yous mess you up. Just say it the way that you memorized it, okay? It'll all be fine. But I'll be reading from the New King James. Verse 1, read along with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of of the Lord forever. Now that's mixing your King James and your new King James together right there. But brothers and sisters, what it is, is that this is the word of God. And it is for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it instructs us in the very moments that we find ourselves and Lord, there's some of us in this room find ourselves in some pretty tough spots right now. Things that have happened in our lives and happened to loved ones in recent days and weeks, months. Lord, they're tough. And to try to present them and to paint them in any other way would be disingenuous. Lord, we come to you with our hearts broken, asking for you to fill us up with your kindness and with your mercy and with your love and to remind us from your holy text who you are. And Father, if nothing else happens today, help us to be reminded of who you are. Help us to see ourselves with clarity so that we're not, we're not deceived and or not confused. Help us to see ourselves. Then help us to see you. And in seeing you, help us to follow you. This is my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So if you looked at my sermon title this morning, you probably learned two things right away. The first thing you learned is that he was not very creative this week. The Lord is my shepherd, so I just decided to go with that. The second thing you learned is we're not going to get through with the entire part of studying Psalm 23 this week. This is only part one. I wish I could tell you how many parts there are going to be. You pray, I'll study. Um, this week we're going to get through a whopping one verse. Nine words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. 
I want you to know those nine words have kept me um, busy all week just trying to get my mind wrapped around them. I'm still not sure that I've got my mind wrapped around them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you what the Lord's been giving to me, and then we'll, we'll conclude together whether or not I've got it all figured out. But nine words absolutely packed with meaning. Let's begin with the first word I want us to consider. It's the, it's the word shepherd. Shepherd. I, I fear that, that for most of us, we regard the title of shepherd with more respect and more fanfare than other cultures do, and particularly people in previous millennia would do. Um, what I mean by that is, is that many times we think of Jesus as being the good shepherd. We think of David as coming as the shepherd king, and we just assign to this, this idea that a shepherd was considered to be an honor to be a shepherd, and, and, and that, that, that such a person was someone of high rank. But, but I would point out to you that David was given the responsibility of being the shepherd over his father Jesse's sheep, not because David had some high stature in the family, but really because he was the youngest and the lowest ranking one on the depth chart. In fact, I would suggest that David's next oldest brother was the happiest man alive or happiest boy alive when David was born because that meant at some point he didn't have to tend the sheep anymore. There was going to be a new kid on the block that could take that responsibility. J.M. Boyce writes this, In Israel, as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all work. Now think about it. James Johnson puts it this way. He says, being a shepherd was a 24-hour job, summer and winter, rain or shine. You lived with the dirty, smelly sheep in the heat of the day and the cold of the night. No one in his right mind would want to be a shepherd. And yet, based upon Psalm 23, we realize that the Lord has chosen to take on that role in our lives. One has put it this way, the great God of the universe has stooped to take just such care of you and me. Now thinking on that, I want you to notice the first point that I have, that has struck me when I was studying this text, and so I'm just leaving it there for you. The first point that I've given to you on your outline this morning is this. It, what's revealed to us is the personality of the shepherd. The personality of the shepherd. I, I've noted for this for you multiple times already in our study of the Psalms, and I'll continue to point it out because it's important. Uh, David does not begin the 23rd Psalm by giving a title to the shepherd. He begins the 23rd Psalm by calling the shepherd's name. And so notice with me that the word Lord there is in all capital letters. Whenever you see all capital letters on that word, you know that, that the, it's, 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 what it's translating is the name of God. It's translating the name Yahweh. If you ever see the title Lord and it's, it's just capitalized L, but then the rest of the letters are not capitalized, what you will recognize is that that is actually a title. It means master. It means, it means a ruler. And the clearest way we distinguish between those is just by the way that it's capitalized. We see that clearly in Psalm 8. The very first verse of Psalm 8 and the closing verse of Psalm 8 show us that. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now when you look at that in your texts, the first Lord is all caps. The second one is not. So what it's really saying is, O Yahweh, our master, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, the reason that I point that out is because David is clearly telling us here in Psalm 23 that Yahweh 
is his shepherd. The name Yahweh is the name that God gave to Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses asked who he should say sent him to Pharaoh. God said to him, you tell Pharaoh that I am who I am. Tell him the I am has sent you. That is my name forever, God says. And what that means is that Yahweh reveals that that God is the ever-present. He is the absolute. He is the the divine, the sovereign, the self-sufficient one. As one has put it, he is the creator God, God Almighty, God Most High, the one true and living God who makes and keeps his covenant with his people. And so very clearly right there up front, what we recognize is that this is who God is. This is the personality of the shepherd. But then, but then let, me, let me go on to point out to you that in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that Yahweh would one day come as the Messiah. And he would shepherd his people. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah says this, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And he will feed his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. In other words, the Messiah would come and assume the role of a shepherd. The prophet Ezekiel also wrote about the coming messianic shepherd. He speaks the word of the Lord in Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 23. He says, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. You see, these prophecies were recognized as pointing forward to the time of the Messiah who would come and, and be the shepherd king over, over and, and take over and take care of his people. And as we've already alluded to today in John 10, that's what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. That which was prophesied about has been fulfilled in me. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. He's the same good shepherd that, hear, that the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. So, So what is the personality of the shepherd here in Psalm 23? Well, we recognize that it is the Lord, it is is Yahweh, but in light of that New Testament, we also recognize that Jesus is God who has come in the flesh and, and that he's come in such a way that he is now, we recognize him as the promised Messiah who came to shepherd his people by laying down his life for the sheep on the cross. Now, Really what I want to point out and what I want you to consider in light of that is just this. When you consider the personality of of the shepherd, that he is the divine and he is the sovereign, self-sufficient, one who is not in need of anything. He's he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. To think that such a one would take on the role of shepherding sheep that he would humble himself to the point of looking after dumb and wayward and smelly and dirty sheep like you and like me, well, that presents, that presents for us an amazing picture of the depth of his love for us. And it really leads me to the second point that I want you to know on your outline. The second thing that really impacted me in my study this week it was this. It's the personal relationship with the shepherd the personal relationship that sheep can have with their shepherd. 
To me, the most amazing word in that first line is the word my. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, now first of all, think about this. When we think about David, the first thing that comes to my mind is I think of him being the king of Israel. That's what I think of. I think of him being the, 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 the one from whose line the Messiah would come. That's, that's in my mind what I think about with David. Sometimes I think about him as the warrior, the, the, the one who went out mighty in valor, slayed Goliath, and who, you know, all of the others that he fought against. I think of him as a mighty warrior. I even think about him as a shepherd, as, as Jesse's son, out on the, the, the fields of, of Bethlehem, looking after his father's sheep. I think of him that way. But do you realize how David viewed himself? When David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, David doesn't view himself here as the king. He's not talking of himself as the warrior. He's not talking of himself as a shepherd. He's talking about himself as being a sheep who is in need of a shepherd. That, that impacted me. I had to stop and think about it. David looks at himself as a sheep. Now, I don't know anything about shepherding, and I, I know even less about sheep. But I've read enough to know that sheep aren't the little cute, cuddly, little sweet little animals that is often portrayed for us in cartoons and, and other things. From what I have read, they fight, they get dirty, they smell bad, they need constant care, they tend to run off and they have to be chased. David knew that about sheep more than anybody. He understood exactly what was at the heart of being a sheep. And then here in Psalm 23, he equates himself to being one of them and says, the Lord is my shepherd. For him to say that, well, I believe that was nothing less than a clear declaration of his need. He recognized exactly who he was and exactly what he needed. Notice also that that word my places a focus on David's personal relationship with the shepherd. He doesn't just say the Lord is a shepherd. Wouldn't have been invalid to say that, that the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't just say the Lord is our shepherd. That's also true. We could say that collectively, the Lord is our shepherd. That's not what David is saying, though. His focus is not on him just being having the, the role of a shepherd or, or being uh, the collective shepherd over a flock. David is saying he's my Shepherd, There is a personal relationship that I have with him. And I want, you know, listen, that word my makes all the difference in the world and how you understand what David is saying here and how you understand it for yourself. What it indicates is that you and I, like David, can have a personal relationship with the God who is our shepherd. That word my... It makes clear that smelly, dirty, stubborn, dumb sheep like me and you actually have hope. It tells us that the sovereign God of the universe who created all things and holds them together, the God who created us, well, He is one who will look after us, He will care for us, He will bind our wounds, He will meet our needs, and He will save us from ourselves and from those that seek to do us harm. So, as we consider this, we consider the personality of the shepherd. We've witnessed the personal relationship that sheep like you and I can have with the shepherd. And then in the second half of verse 1, 
Notice that David presents us with the provision of the shepherd. The provision of the shepherd. David says, I shall not want. Now, to be honest with you, if we're out talking and maybe we, we, we meet up outside or if we're in a restaurant someplace or we're just having a conversation, that's not the way we normally say stuff. I am not in want of anything. I mean, it's a little old English, right? We, we just, that's just not the way we normally say stuff. And that, that phrase, believe it or not, has created a little confusion at times with people reading this and trying to get their minds around it. And one little girl I read, had, the pastor had preached on it one morning, and, and, and she was in the car riding home with her dad afterwards, and she goes, if God is such a good God and he loves us so much, then why wouldn't we want him? Because David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Of course, that's not what David is saying, right? He's not saying, he's saying, I'm not going to be in need. I don't need anything because the Lord is my shepherd. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the music of Zach Brown. I'm not as familiar with all of his music, but, but he's got a line in the song. He's got a line in the song that he sings. He says, I have everything I need and nothing that I don't. Now, I don't think Zach Brown is a theologian by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think he would claim to be one. But he gets what David says here. That is a great, that is a great translation for what David says here. The Lord, hey, he is my shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, I got everything I need and nothing that I don't. Eugene Peterson, he, he takes David's words here this way and says, I don't need a thing. Another takes him and looks forward. He starts just looking at the present. He looks forward. He says, I will never lack anything. Now, here's the reason why whenever you read a lot of different ones that take this verse, they can't quite figure out if it's a present tense or if it's future tense or how it's supposed to be. It's because in the Hebrew, it's in the imperfect. The verb is in the imperfect, which implies that it has past action that not only was experienced the benefits of then, it's being experienced in the present, and it's going to be experienced in the future. It's an imperfect verb. Doesn't mean it's not, it doesn't mean that any has to do with perfection. It means it's just ongoing. And so because we have never had to lack anything with what God has done in the past, we don't lack anything in the, future, in the present, and we don't have to lack anything in the future. We've got everything we need and nothing that we don't. Why? Because the Lord is our shepherd. Now, such a statement really kind of does what the Psalms do for us throughout. They, they point us to what God has done in the past. They promise us what God has said he's going to do in the future. And then that gives us the confidence that we need to live contented lives in the present. We've seen this again and again. Every time David finds himself in a bottleneck, what does he do? He looks back at what God has done for him in the past. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness there. And he says, if you've been faithful then, you're going to be faithful now. That's exactly what he says in Psalm 37, verse 25. David writes this. He says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. You, you see how that works together? Why would God change? He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And so my confidence and my contentment rests in the fact that he is one who is always the same and he's always faithful. Listen, if you get tired of me repeating that again and again and again to you because we've seen it multiple times, and you're going to have to move on from the Psalms because that's David's MO. He keeps going back to that. 
And we need to remember it so that when we find ourselves in times of chaos and, 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 and conflict and difficulty, that we remind ourselves of who God is, what He's done, what He continues to do, and what He will do in the future. Now, in light of that, if we take a step back then and we look at the entirety of verse 1, you'll see that there's a necessary correlation between both halves. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Ray Fowler notes this. He says, you can't have one without the other. And once you have the one, the other comes with it. You see, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. On the other hand, unless the Lord is my shepherd, I shall always be in want. And therefore, if I am not in want, it is because the Lord is my shepherd. And if I am in want, then the Lord is not my shepherd. You see how intricately tied together those two phrases are. And he goes on to note this. He said, when it comes right down to it, the Lord himself is the real provision that I need. He is the one thing necessary. And if I have him as my shepherd, then I lack nothing. Give me Jesus and I will be satisfied. Now, let me ask you, does that mean, does that, mean that you're always going to get everything that you want? Does that mean every prayer that you ever pray is going to be answered in the way that you ask it? No. And we need to firmly say that's not a, that is not what this psalm teaches. It's not what the scriptures teach. What it does tell us, though, as one has put it, it does mean that if you are walking with the Lord and there is something that you ask for that he doesn't provide, then either it's not good or it's not good for you to have it at this time. I know I've had to make that argument for my children many times when they've asked me over and over for something. And it's not that what they're asking for is not good, but it's not good for them right now. And many of us who are adults have to learn the same lesson. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not need anything other than him. That's the shepherd's provision. And when Jesus becomes your shepherd, he promises to provide you with all of your needs because he is all that you need. And that's what leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. This is a sentence that I tried to con construct in such a way so that it identifies who we are and identifies who our shepherd is and what benefit we have from that. And so the sermon in a sentence is this. Because I am a sheep, who on my own lacks everything. I need the Lord to be my shepherd so that I will never lack anything. I'm a sheep who lacks everything. And therefore, I need the Lord to be my shepherd so that I will never lack anything. Here's the question. Is the Lord your shepherd? Have have all of your needs for this life and the life to come been met in the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to point out you to the I want to point out to you that that, that when before he can be your satisfying shepherd, the Lord must become the suffering shepherd in your life. Jesus Christ has laid down his life for his sheep. His atoning sacrifice is the only hope that sheep like you and I 
have for salvation. The question is, do you belong to him? Is he your shepherd? It's not enough to say that Jesus is a shepherd. It's not enough to say that he's our shepherd. It's not enough the fact that he was your mama or your daddy's shepherd. The scriptures tell us that he has to be my shepherd. He has to be your shepherd. You must have a personal relationship with him. Jesus tells us in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Is Jesus calling to you? Do you hear his voice? Are you following him in obedience? You know, once you consider those questions, then you should ask yourself if you're living your life with confidence and contentment. Are you living with confidence and contentment in all that the satisfying Savior and shepherd has provided you? Maybe you're like some of the sheep. Do, maybe you do what some of the sheep do, what I have done. I know that when I read this and I recognize it, that sometimes I stray from the pasture in which the shepherd has brought me. We always talk about the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. Unfortunately, as I've read, that is the nature of sheep. It is the nature of sheep to wander, to not be satisfied with the land in which they have been led, but to always continue to be looking for greener fields elsewhere. The Lord willing, we're going to come back and we're going to consider that question more next week. But let me ask you now, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with Jesus? Is he enough? Do you have contentment and confidence in his care for you? I want you to know that a discontented heart and a lack of confidence in what the Lord has provided is indicative of a lack of faith in the one who is your good shepherd. If you are struggling in that area, if you do not possess the peace and the rest that the shepherd supplies, then I would encourage you to spend some time reflecting on how the Lord has met your every need in the past, given you every promise that you will need in the future. Remind yourself of the suffering shepherd who's died on the cross for you and remind yourself that he's not only the sovereign shepherd who is coming for you in the future, but he is your satisfying shepherd for right here and right now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving us like you do and leading us like you do. And Father, it is true, you do lead us in paths of righteousness. Those paths of righteousness, sometimes they go through the green pastures and the still waters, but sometimes they take us through the valley of the shadow of death as well. And we want to trust you in every place that you lead us because you are all that we need. You are our satisfying shepherd. My prayer this morning is that there is one who is here that has never trusted you and humbled themselves before you and confessed you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. The day would be that day that they would listen to your voice calling them, that there's a Holy Spirit works in their hearts. And we trust the work of the Holy Spirit to do what he does. But I do pray for obedience. And I pray for humility. 
I pray for those that are hurting in this room, those who are watching online, that are struggling with where they are. My prayer is that you would, that you would strengthen them, that you would remind them of your great care and your great love for them. We are grateful for the opportunity you have given us this day to be able to worship you in Christ's name. Amen.